So, uh, my one and simple introduction is that I am coming from Shirvindo Ashram and I bring some glad tidings, <laughs> some good news. <laughs> and what is the good news uh, in today's times? We, all kinds of news is, are taking place and normally when we think about good news, we see it with reference to ourselves. And there are some of us who want to hear a good news with reference to humanity, some with reference to the planet. So um, the good news that I bring, something which um, made me deeply engaged with yoga of Shirobindo, uh, is that man's evolution is not finished. Something which is so logical, something which is so should be the most uh, inevitable thing in nature. And yet it didn't strike me and I think it doesn't strike many of us spontaneously because we are so used to live within a magic circle of nature and we think humans are the first and the last. So it's up to us to do things and destroy the planet or make the planet. And this paints a very dismal uh, picture, not only of ourselves but even of the creator. Because if um, man is the ultimate, that could emerge out of all this journey, then um, it's, it's, it's not a very perfect creation, isn't it? So it, it doesn't need much thought. So it should start from there that really what is our journey? Often when we speak about um, our story of our life, as uh, uh, just now we heard Arun speaking about, and we all have the story of our life. And we speak of the outer events, circumstances, details, so and so. But if you really look closely, there is another story running parallel. And as we grow through life, we become more and more conscious of this story. It's a subjective story. Some of it has expressed itself. Some of it is held back. Some of it, we don't know where it has come from. Its threads are lost. We are trying to figure out. So we have an inner story, which is about our hopes, our dreams, our aspirations, our failures, our successes, things which are hidden within us as um, gifts of the future, what is called in psychology as atavisms. The, the beast growls within us and we don't know how to handle. And there are uh, the ape within us who is restless and we don't know what to do with it. And there is also the future which we are planning. We think it should be like this, should be like that. So this, this is another story which is running behind our surface life. And if these two stories are all, then there is nothing much to do but to try and push my agenda on the external life. If it works, good. If it doesn't work, well, make the most of it. Try to take a good attitude and live through it. Accept it or lament and etc, etc. But there is a third story. And I think that's the most important story, which is much deeper than these two surface stories. And this story connects actually with the story of creation itself. You know, as a child, when I used to read some of these Puranas, I do not know if some of us may have read it or maybe roughly, vaguely conversant with it. Have you read any of these um, Vishnu Puran, for example? Anyone is familiar with this book? So if you read these Puranas, you will see that the first story in the Purana, it's, it starts with creation. And you wonder what is creation got to do with me? I want to know about my life. 
I don't want to know about how the creation started. And for a long time, I used to wonder, because whenever I would read, I would see the creation. You know, even everywhere, you read the Bible, you read any of these, how, how God's, you know, there was the word and the word became this Rishti and so on and so forth. And we are waiting for that portion where something more relevant comes for us, you know. Okay, what are we going to do? What is my role here? Now the beauty is that the story of our life is very intimately interconnected with the story of creation itself. And the logic of it is very simple. One, if there is one source of creation which both science and human thought and spirituality, any awakened thought would tell us that there cannot be multiple sources of multiple objects hanging in space. You know, that's why we are looking for a theory of everything. So if there is one source of creation, call it whatever, now this source would naturally, inevitably, in some way or the other, be present in every aspect of the, every element. It would be there. It would be there in the atom. It would be there in man. It would be there in the animal. It would be wherever or whatever we see hanging out in space and time um, would be there. It would be there in objects. It would be unfolding in time. That's how it's very interesting when we read about time and space and how they came into being from the perspective of spiritual thought. Actually, every spiritual thought, but we see in India, it's brought out in in, in very detailed way. So it's Brahman, the original source. That's how it has been called. One could call it with any other name. It extended itself and became space and it moved and became time. So time became an unfolding of this which is there within the one. So the first thing is it exists within me, that source exists within me. And it takes away a big um, chunk of issues that I face in life. Where is God? Where is creator? Now he's there, right there. He's there in everything. So second discovery is not just in me. Is in everything. So it takes away the exclusivity that we create. One of the basis for unity, if at all we want unity on this planet, has to be a deep spiritual inlook which tells us that me and my creator in the depths are one, not in the surface. And this creator is not just within me, is in everyone, it's the same one. There is no two, two people, one who created me, one who created somebody else. So this is so liberating. This one simple thought, just to meditate, often people ask, you know, how to meditate. A more important thing is what is the subject of meditation. Meditation is a process of thought, just as concentration is a process of consciousness. They are two slightly different things. But what is the highest thought to meditate upon? So we have one of the beautiful formulas given in one of the Upanishads that to meditate upon this idea that the divine is in you and the divine is in everyone and everything is in the divine. So you see this is the way when we meditate upon it, spontaneously all these surface differences which come in our life, when we meet people, when we uh, face right from the color of the skin right down to differences of thoughts, frames of references, we discover that all right, there are these differences, but deep inside there is the oneness, this core of oneness. It changes everything in life. It can, it can have a powerful transforming effect. You know, people often 
I hear it. Uh, people say that India's great discovery is the, the discovery of zero, isn't it? But I think there is a greater discovery, and it's the discovery of the one. Because if there is one, then you can really unite on a much deeper level. If there is zero, there is a kind of annulment. Zero is a great discovery, no doubt about it. But there is still greater discovery, and it's the discovery of the one. which means not only me as fellow human beings me and the animal me and the plant me and the earth me and the stars there is something within me which is connected with all of this and that is why in ignorance i want to reach out and reconnect so all our life we are trying to connect with this one but in various ways man is will not be satisfied till it connects with this one so he wants to reach out to the stars after he explores the earth because ultimately it is one when he has discovered the surface laws of matter he wants to go deep and deep and deep everywhere he wants to discover this one because it's an impulsion which is almost like um, like an obsession as we grow we even our fights behind our fights if you really look at it why do we fight we know it's a very unpleasant thing why do we fight because we want two people to have the same thoughts to think similarly isn't it <laughs> oh you can't understand me isn't it one of the common refrains now why does this happen why do we want that everybody should be same or similar or having a same kind of a thought process because again we want to recreate and discover the one but we don't know that this is not the way so we do it ignorantly we believe that if everybody spoke the same language if everybody wore the same costume if everybody um, had the same outer way of life we will discover unity but it doesn't work out because this original impulsion of the one and that's what we come to now the third story of our life this um, knowledge that there is the one behind everything that's not enough this one is not just like a static presence who is just watching the play players emerge from him he is responsible for it i'm sure uh, you know <laughs> whatever we may say um, he is unfolding this great drama of life and our story is one chapter one act of the great story that the original storyteller is writing all right in, you'll see in spiritual scriptures or teachings it's said in a very different way uh, which is appealing to the heart you know when it is said that live according to the divine will it's a very beautiful way of putting it meaning thereby that apart from my will apart from all the outer circumstances of my life there is another will what is that will it's the original impulsion that has gone into creation and this impulsion is expressing itself in countless ways obviously he didn't want everybody to be same and the reason is very simple because that one is also infinity so this is the second great discovery the first is the discovery of the one and that this one is in everything and everywhere there is not a space where it doesn't exist and it can be so liberating you know just this thought you are in a moment of crisis often people say that you know how does it help me to meditate on the one okay you are caught up in a crisis there was some time back i don't know why they call this movie budha in a traffic jam 
I have no clue. It's a beautiful movie. <laughs> It's a beautiful movie, though. But I was expecting something else, and I was actually expecting what would Buddha do in a traffic jam? <laughs> Anyways, the movie is very nice. That apart, it brings out an angle of um, understanding. But the fact is that when we are caught up in life, in the various meshes of life, we think that we are alone. and we are struggling against an array of people who are either my friends or my enemies this is the perspective who are helping me or harming me or are indifferent the other three kinds of categories we create now imagine if we meditate upon the one we make a discovery that nobody is really harming me even what is opposing me is also helping me you know this is one of the principle one learns in judo in judo you learn to use the opponent's strength for your own gain why it is so because it is nothing else but the one these are various masks there are beautiful lines in savitri which i feel tempted to quote one of them is all here that seems to be its lonely self are figures of the soul transcendent one this one is there who is expressing in countless ways so countless ways brings another respect he is unfolding in me in his own way it's a unique way why he delights in multiplicity if he wanted to unfold the same drama in everybody's life probably it'll be too boring and we should allow god some creative impulse <laughs> isn't it we we have something of him within us that's why man is so you know as we develop creativity now he doesn't like sameness through different stories of life he is unfolding himself what is within him is unfolding are there any hints in creation we see countless hints if you reduce things to their essential qualities you will see that every aspect of creation is an unfolding of some aspect or the other of the tremendous origin let's take one example you know which something which i often love to see when we watch the mountain we feel good what do mountains represent in terms of quality we forgotten to look at life this way because we look at a mountain as a mountain or a piece of rock science <laughs> what is a mountain mountain is solidity mountain is strength does it remind us of strength mountain is a symbol of tapasya that's why in ancient stories you will see all the tapasvis went to the mountain so some people believe that by going to mountain you can do tapasya no it doesn't work like that <laughs> there is a mountain within us the peak of our nature where shiva dwells and dances it's an image beautiful image the mountain peaks of our nature which means there are aspects of our nature which are hidden from our sight we don't know as i said because the unfolding is not yet over and what lies at the end of this unfolding we discover that delight the dance the rapturous dance of the dancer so there is a journey we climb to the mountain that's why very often we'll read these stories of somebody who went to the mountain through a difficult path but it's essentially the story of our own life which is climbing upward and in this climb i'm not alone my creator walks with me there is another very beautiful thought which emerges from this 
and it is this that my journey of my life is more than me the journey of the creator within me this is a very very uh, you know humbling thought and very reassuring thought in savitri there is a very beautiful line passage one who has shaped this world is ever its lord our errors are his steps upon the way see nowadays we don't want binaries isn't it <laughs> good and bad and right and wrong i think human humanity is going beyond this phase so our errors are his steps upon the way how can error how can error be isn't error my responsibility and the good things the responsibility of the lord this is also a binary errors are steps because through them we learn something still greater they are steps on the way and when does god work he works through the fierce vicissitudes of our lives he works through the hard breath of battle and toil he works through our sins our sorrows and our tears you know one of the fascinating things about the gita i'm sure some of us must be conversant with this can you say what is the most fascinating thing about the gita very interesting thing at least to me i find it very interesting every time i look at the gita it's not about the shlokas 700 shlokas which people pandits recite and then go on living their life just like anyone else look at the context of the gita when is the gita given it's not given in an ashrama by some guruji sitting there and you know initiating you into yoga where is the gita given a book by which a lot of human beings swear you know they they call it as the uh, at the end of every chapter you will see brahma it's a brahma sutra and shri krishnaya there expresses himself as the yogeshwara so what is the one of the beautiful things about the gita among many beautiful things is that it is given right in the thick of the battlefield where there is the dance of death going on and gita is called strangely interestingly paradoxically the song of immortality that's its one of the <laughs> so where is the song of in- immortality given when death is going all around but if you really look at it a little deeper you would say yeah but but natural because when death is all around we are most ready we are seeking like anything about that to which we can hold on to everything is collapsing everything is getting destroyed this is a pralaya what can i hold on to the song of immortality so look at the unfolding is taking place not just when we sit in meditation this is often people ask uh, i remember semi humorously an episode when me and my wife used to go every day morning for uh, there was a bangalore center we would go in the morning at 5 o'clock and go and um, do some service and come back so one one day around 6:30 morning i am back and i have to get ready for the my assignment with air force and in the lift someone meets me and he says so you you went early morning where did you go so i just told him i went to shirbindo society bangalore center oh what what do you do there oh you go to do yoga now you know uh, i said yes so say what what yoga they teach you means he thought that i am going there and going to do some asanas some physical kind of exercises which will keep me healthy and fit 
so <laughs> it was by then the floor had come <laughs> i said yeah that for some other time <laughs> yoga in a lift <laughs> uh, i felt like saying this that exactly what's happening here is happening there i'm just uplifted that's all <laughs> that's what yoga is about now you know spontaneously many people ask this question that how do you meditate when do you meditate how many hours do you meditate is a very beautiful uh, half a line of kabir he says sadho sahaj samadhi bhali spontaneous meditation how does it come how does it happen it's when we begin to live with this sense of the one not just one as a presence who is somewhere watching out there in the heavens not even a presence who is deep within which is better than watching out there in heaven this is better but just a witness no when we begin to look at life as a constant unfolding of the eternal within us he works through our sins our sorrows and our tears what is he doing when the farmer on the soil is toiling hard and all sweat and he says i don't believe in you i damn care about you what is he doing there is he just a mute spectator probably would say look i am preparing you for something much greater is a very beautiful story of shurbindo called a dream so in this story there is a uh, poor man who is uh, you know um, uh, praying to god every day and one day he gets very irritated he say what is the use of praying to you you don't seem to care a damn about me look at my state i don't know whether tomorrow i am going to get my next meal or not and look at the man right in front teen kodi seal that's the name it's a very significant name he says he is having a palace he is having this he is having that and i have nothing if i find you i am going to tie your hands and beat you up all right suddenly krishna appears he says there i am who are you i you called me tie me up and beat me up No, no, I didn't mean it that way. Please don't take offense. He says, "I don't take offense. I love the play. I am happy you treated me like a living friend. Most of the people put me in a temple and they don't forget about it. Put some malas and carry some prasad, laddu. You know, it's very funny sight. I don't know how it is here, but just couple of days back, I went to a temple and I found it so strange. So there was a gentleman. I mean, I I I stopped going to temples for a long time <laughs> because what you want, you you find it here. anyways temples are also beautiful places they are meant at a certain stage of evolution so i was just observing it's it's a very good thing to observe learn so much from just observing because the the guru is everywhere so i saw a man before he goes into the temple he took out the belt obviously you, do, you are not supposed to carry leather isn't it i don't know that must be the reason so because i saw two people do it so he folded the belt and um probably his um, daughter or someone with him he opened the purse put the belt inside closed the purse and then the two walked inside and this this is not fair this is cheating god <laughs> if you are serious about it leave it outside <laughs> the first thing is going to do is to look inside your purse <laughs> what are you hiding out there <laughs> see uh, that's that's not the way of life and we have turned all this into a it's a great unfolding it's happening all the time not just when we are in a temple probably 
So he asks him that, you know, what are you doing about it? He says, you want to see? He says, yes. He says, come, I'll take you to this rich man's palace. So this man says, look, you, you are a trickster, I know. You are known for all your tricks. Uh, you steal makhan, you steal this and that, I don't know. But I am an ordinary model and you are going to get me beaten black and blue. He says, no, no, you come with me, you are safe. Safe hands. <laughs> with the divine, we are always in safe hands. So he takes him and shows that this fellow is lying on a big bed and, and uh, he says, look, didn't I tell you? Tells God, look, look here. Didn't I tell you? So he says, wait, you are too impatient. You know, we are very, very impatient in our judgments. You know why? Because we don't observe. We have frames of thought. Spirituality liberates us from frames of thought, including religious frames. It's not about a belief system. These frames of thoughts are fed into us. Sometimes from childhood, sometimes teachers, sometimes newspapers. Frames of thought. So frame of thought, if somebody is sleeping on a lovely bed, he must be happy. He says, wait, you are seeing the outer life. Let me show you the inner life. And as he goes inside, he's turning and twisting. His heart is burning with jealousy and ambition and, you know, what next and fears of all kind. And he says, my God, where have you brought me? It's hell. Take me out. He said, but you wanted to come here. I had taken you out. And you were happy. But you were looking at this. Now, you know, this is very interesting. This story goes further. But to come back to a point, each story of life is unique. There are no two stories of life. It's not that that rich man is abandoned. In his life, there is an unfolding taking place in his own way. And in the life of the poor man, it is unfolding in its own way. This poor and rich and all these binaries again are creations of our own mind which looks at duality. But sometimes we will see that the unfolding finds strange ways. As I said, Arjuna is on the battlefield. And in Arjuna's life, an unfolding is taking place, the kind of which we have never heard. For a long time, humanity will be sustained by the power of those words that look, even on the battlefield, there is someone who drives the chariot, provided I you know, give, this, give the reins to him. So to get back to the original theme, there is a will or the impulsion that has gone into creation. And this will is unfolding itself in countless ways. For the moment, let's not talk about what that will is. As I said, you know, everything in this, every object represents something of that quality, the mountain, the river. That's why you see in India, you worship rivers. Why people worship rivers? Not because they are fools who don't know what rivers are about. They are bodies of water, but they also represent the force of life. That's why you have these, all the rivers are, you have story behind every river. Narmada, Ganga, Yamuna, Kaveri. You heard about all the seven rivers, Godavari, Krishna. is interesting story. They are the force of life because they are ever flowing. And if you really go into the heart of the river, you learn a great lesson of life. That's why apart from the mountains, people also went to the rivers. It gives us a very simple truth. And that truth is, be like a river. So what are the two things which are most important for a river? It knows its origin. Why? Because from the origin comes the impulsion. Ganga, mighty Ganga, pacing along the western plains, 
and going right up to the Bay of Bengal. Where does it originate? Just see it, it's amazing. Even if you watch it on the video, can't imagine. There are tiny little drops. Gomuk, not Gangotri, Gomuk. Look at it, tiny little drops. They'll grow into a mighty river. This is the power. Those drops, why? What is the power of those drops? Because they are coming from a huge body of ice, the glacier. And that little power, little power flows and flows and flows endlessly. And you see a mighty stream building up. So we are all like that little drop of water. We all contain that little seed of the divine impulsion within us. And as it grows, it grows. It, that's where our original power comes from. And if we get cut off from that, what is called in spirituality as ignorance. Ignorance is not about not knowing, you know, worldly things. We often say, oh, illiterate, ignorant, as if the two are same. A person can be illiterate, but educated, and even knowledgeable. A person can be very literate, a Harvard University PhD, but ignorant from a spiritual point of view. There's a very nice little story of Sri Ramakrishna Paramans, and I think, uh, of course, we must have all heard his name, isn't it? And Sri Ramakrishna Paramans, uh, how much he had studied? Any idea? Any wild guess? Sixth standard. Not even sixth class those days. So Ishwar Chand Vidyasagar, he is a highly erudite scholar. He comes to meet him once. So, and his name is Vidyasagar, you know, because he has so much learning inside. So Sri Ramakrishna tells him, half jokingly, he says, oh, the river has come to a nalla. Nalla is like a little stream. The river has come to the nalla. You are a, so much knowledge. So Ishwarchand Vidyasagar says with folded hand, where is the Nalla, sir? When the Nalla merges into the ocean, then rivers will come and flow into it. Each of us on the surface of our life is like a little Nalla, like a little stream, thin stream. And we wonder what's happening. But when we remember the original impulsion and when we merge into that vast ocean towards which we are going, this is the second lesson of the sea, of the river. Where are we going? Where am I coming from? Where am I going? And then it gives us the right perspective. Because till we have that perspective, life will remain confused and confusing to myself and to others. Every time, at least personally, I, if I meet with a challenging situation where I have to take a decision, all of us have to take multiple decisions many times. No? So what should be the criteria? Normally we use temporary Immediate criteria. This is good for me based on what is pleasant. So, you know, Katopanishad starts with this. One thing is the pleasant and another the good. Shreyascha, Priyascha. It starts with that. You know, it's another dialogue of death with a young aspirant called Nachiketa. He says, one thing is pleasant, another thing is good. So now, what is the way to reorient? Simply, is it going to take me to the sea, which is my goal? Or is it going to create an obstacle? Well, this is going to take me to the sea. So be it. And then one finds the way. That's the beauty of the river. It doesn't, uh, if it meets an obstacle, it doesn't strike against it or it will override it. 
or it will bypass it like the Shipra Nadi you have seen because it knows where it has to go. And how much time we lose in just arguing, discussing, proving a point, political debates, discussions. <laughs> Who is going to win? <laughs> Who is going to lose? It's okay as a pastime. But what is the real victory? It's the victory of that will within me. That is the victory towards which I have to strive for. And it's the victory of the will within creation. That is the second victory, which is, and the two are together. And if that victory takes place, the whole humanity moving as a current towards, you know, it's a very strange experience some of these multi-rise buildings can give us. That when we look at um, earth from that perspective, and we see countless, countless, countless people all the time, cars and buses and trucks and on, on foot, where is everybody going? Isn't it strange? We hardly look at ourselves and ask this question. Even when we know where I am going, still we hardly... And when we look at ourselves and really seriously engage with ourselves and ask this question, as I said, these are three questions which are most important. Where am I coming from? What is my origin? Where am I going? And the third important question is, who am I? You know, famous story of T.S. Eliot which I love to recount. He's gone to a countryside and there is uh, rain and he knocks at a door and he asks for shelter. So, nice people, those were the days when somebody opens <laughs> and all that he asks, who are you, where are you coming from, where are you going? Three questions. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> Ah, bata diya. I am so and so, I am coming from here, I am going there. Okay, you can take take shelter in some some room is there. So he just whole night he wonders on these questions. Who am I? I said I am so and so, but that's my name. Some people are very fond of carrying this card. We nice story of Anand Maima. Someone sent a card inside. And that card contained lot of degrees and qualifications. So her secretary didn't know how to, all these degrees, he said, Koi vidwan aya hai. some vidwan has come to meet you. And she made a remark, Avidya ki nagri mein vidwan? It's a field of ignorance. Why? Because these frames through which the distorting lens, the original cataract that blinds us to reality and truth, and shows us everything else. We are constantly engaged with appearances. And now science is discovering it, that these were appearances. But we have to discover also that these are appearances. There is a deeper ground, a matrix in which all of us are growing. So that's why to connect with that. And how to connect? Very beautifully, that same passage of Savitri. He works through our sins, our sorrows and our tears. Whatever the appearance we must bear. Sometimes we can't understand which way the life is going. So it's good to remember that there is behind it a deeper guidance. I may not be able to access it. Often people ask me, sometimes this question, have you seen the mother? So I have a very cryptic way of answering. I say, well, mother has seen me. <laughs> It's important, isn't it? My thing is, what will I see? 
story of that blind saint who went for darshan to Shirobindo, and he was asked, "You are going for darshan, and you are blind, so you can't see, and Shirobindo won't speak." So he said, "You think I am going to see him? <laughs> Do I have eyes to see? I am going so that his gaze can fall upon me. That's all." So he has seen, and it's a fact. Unless the divine sees us. I mean, he is seeing us, but this seeing, intimate seeing, unless the divine wills, we cannot wake up to this idea of the divine and seeking for the divine. It's so strange. There is a very Mahavakya in um, synthesis of yoga. He who chooses the infinite has been chosen by the infinite. That's why we choose, and it's very logical. See, sometimes I have wondered. Initially, when I took to a spiritual turning after being going through a phase of agnosticism, because I didn't want uh, mukti and nirvana, and I said, this is not what I want. Because if this is the end of the story, it's a bad story. I mean, suffering and then my karma. So I, 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 you know, it didn't didn't gel with me. Too. So I said, better I be a good human being. And then, when I turned and discovered this truth about the great unfolding and the great drama and the next step i just wondered that ah this is something so wonderful as i said glad tidings let's share it but i saw that no it doesn't work like that you see if we look at now the story of our life how it unfolds we'll see that there are stages and steps through which we pass so there is a stage when all that matters for us is the, the animal man is still very active so his eyes are on that pound of flesh like shri ramakrishna says there are some of us are like vultures who fly high but where is the vulture looking at the pound of flesh the eyes on the pound of flesh so we should not be deceived by appearances outer appearances you know that's why in the ashram we don't have these dresses to show who is engaged in yoga or not engaged in yoga and swami ji and all that stuff that's not necessary the real thing is going on inside and that's between us and our creator so this is something very interesting that in the beginning that's what our life is about we play with toys and we are happy with toys but how long will we play with toys beautiful poem of shri bindo six lines i'll recount there is a need within the soul of man the splendors of the surface never sate never sate for life and mind and their glory and debate are the slow prelude of a vaster theme a preface to the epic supreme we are on an epic journey we should be ready to take this challenge you know this need for comfort zones the need for some kind of a security where we are this is how the animal physical vital consciousness works it wants its den it doesn't venture out you see this is very strange have you seen animals venturing far out it's very rare now corrupted with uh, because of the touch of human consciousness and because we have uprooted them from their homes so tigers and lions and snakes come out but otherwise they stay close i know actually in orville of a, a couple living you know in a, in wild surroundings and um, in a tent house and 
I said, look, I mean, everything is fine. I appreciate your your adventurous nature, but I see that big tree and old banyan tree. Aren't there snakes? He said, yeah, there is one right there. I said, cobra. I said, cobra, you mean a real one? Yes, real one. <laughs> so you don't feel um, afraid about it? He said, no, he stays in his place. Stays in his place. Why would he come and try to harm us? I said, yeah, I never thought of it like that. <laughs> Cobras are not humans. So, they <laughs> so he's happy in his place, I'm happy in my... Believe me, it's uh, that the distance between his house and this tree was from the door of Arun's place to, to this place. Maybe a little less, my conservative estimate. And they were living for years. And I have gone for the first time and for... Half an hour and I'm my eyes are on that tree. <laughs> Where is the cobra? You see, these animals don't venture beyond. They look for safe comfort zones. They're very afraid. There is in us that little animal consciousness which wants to live in the den. You give it food and it's happy. Triptogya. Nothing it wants more than a nice place where it can sleep. Provide it food and he'll do circus tricks for you. Isn't it? But that's not life about. Man goes further. He cannot be rest. He cannot be contented forever playing with the toys. He must play now with the stars, the moons, things that shape his destiny. And at every level of evolution, there is a God, there is a religion, there is some kind of a spirituality. So at the most animal physical consciousness, humanity's early stages, you see, all the animals, all the gods are like animals. They are wearing animal shapes. Some of them are very angry. They can strike you, they can hit you, <laughs> they can do all kinds of things. And there is a conception of God. What is that conception? He punishes us or rewards us. Poor fellow is like a CEO. You know, at least he should be a little more dignified, you know. <laughs> he should be, compa on one side he is a compassionate one. But a compassionate one should clear all my debts, understand. So we miss something, something more crucial. So as we grow, we begin to challenge these belief systems. So, you know, humanity, when it passes through this phase, it tends to become atheist and agnostic. And it's a phase. It's a necessary phase because otherwise we have all the answers in all the scriptures. Every, and this is a problem in India also. Every possible answer is there. Why you are suffering? You don't have cataract or glaucoma or night blindness. You know, you did some karma in your past life. End of the story. So in the Western world, they said, karma is later on, let me see. Okay, you can cure it with vitamin A. <laughs> so whatever happened to the karma? Now karma has to find another route. Now there is a truth of karma, but you know, we have mistakenly understood that God's intention is just to reward and punish. There is a truth about karma. Again, karma is about the unfolding through choices, through actions, through the energies that have gone into the play. Learning through constant experience. That is what karma is about. Not fundamentally about reward and punishment. There is an aspect of justice which exists, but that's not the real fundamental truth of nature. Justice is about balance. If you go overboard in anything, there will be a con contrary force which will strike back. But justice to carry to a, you know, absurd extreme. So there is this unfolding taking place. And as man begins to become more rational, 
he begins to question these concepts. Some of us, of course, can carry with these two parallel together. There is a belief system and don't touch it. I believe it. Why? Because my grandparents believed in it. <laughs> but there is another part of life where we deal very rationally. Isn't it? When it comes to how to deal with my neighbors, my reason should come. Not the book which teaches me that you and the, your neighbor are one. That we keep in the background. But when it comes to everything else, so I have this book. This book has taught me this. That's it. Don't question. Blasphemy. So all this because we have never really gone through that full-fledged mental evolution. But now it is happening. So people are questioning and they, they have every right to question. Because behind every question there is quest. And really speaking, spirituality starts with this quest. If there is no quest, it's a dead system. Just belonging to one cult or you belong to another cult. I've seen plenty of you everywhere, even which you're in the you see some people would be just like, you know, adopting it, accepting it. In every system or every path, we will see that there are few who are seekers, who have this flame of aspiration. And there are many who are happy to adopt it as a, another belief system. But Mother and Shivindu, that's why they were very clear about it. Mother said, no new religions. We don't want any more religions. The age of religions is over. What is the difference between religion and spirituality? Religion is the effort of the life of ignorance to look into something beyond. At least it believes there is something beyond. But it ends with that. There is something beyond. There is a God out there and every book has a description of this God. But you can't become one with that God. Don't even try it. So that's religion. It is dead in a book to be read and forgotten or to be remembered on a particular day at a particular hour. So that's religion. It's a belief system. Ideologies are belief systems equally. The left, the right and the center and whatever. Because they are all seeing life from the like a lenses, distorting lenses, without knowing the reality, what's happening in the poor and the rich man's life, without knowing it. So a time comes when we begin to seek and quest. Initially this quest takes the form of questions. But questioning in the mind itself cannot lead us to that. It will take us to a point. After some time, the questioning mind enters into a phase state of agnosticism. I don't know. I can't know. That's the most honest answer mental thought can give us. Rational mental thought can take us to a point where it will say, maybe, may not be, I don't know. And then a deeper quest awakens. I don't know, but I want to know. Maybe the mind cannot tell me, hey, I am using the wrong instrument. What do you do when you are desperate about something? You want to do it and nothing is working. Still you want to do. Imagine you are caught inside a prison. And you, you can't break the walls. You are trying, trying, trying. So what do you do? One kind of humanity will sit helpless and say, well, nothing can be done. But there is another which, which till the end of the last day, will strive to see how it can come out of the prison. Is there a key? Is there somebody who has a key? That's the most logical thing. <laughs> can someone give me the key? I can't break the wall, but they, I see the lock and I see the... 
I see the bars. And then we discovered this was the prison of our own making. And the key was always with us. Who put the prison between me and the creator and the delight, which is at the origin of all creation, a creative impulsion of delight. My own desires, every desire is like a bar between me and the delight. I don't know, we recollect your childhood. Many people, they love to go back to the stories of their childhood. They are doing very well in life. But when they meet somebody, most people, of course there are some difficult situations, but many of them, you see the moment they talk about their childhood, oh, you know, we used to do this. And then there is such a joy. Why, why is it there? You know, it was fun. You didn't need anything to be happy. Most children, there are some exceptions and we can talk about that. But most of the time as a child, you need nothing to be happy. To be happy is your birthright. So in that same passage, whatever the appearance we must bear, when nothing we can do, when, when nothing we can see but drift and bail, a mighty guidance leads us still through all. After we have served this great divided world, God's bliss and oneness are our inborn right. We see it in, the, in a child, this oneness is so spontaneous. Children don't differentiate. I mean, this just the first experience I was recounting to someone. You see, Guru is everywhere, no? So, my, I have so many Gurus. Gurus is different from, you know, Divine is ultimate. So, <laughs> Guru is, my. I have so many Gurus. One of the Guru was, right, the child, as I entered, Arya. I'll give you a story of two Gurus, small children Guru. One is this Arya. As I entered, what did she do? She just held my finger and took me all around. This is so spontaneous. She doesn't uh, think, oh, who is this uncle? Where is he coming from? Should I, should I not? Nothing. Spontaneously. And I'm sure she does it with everyone. But as she grows up, I mean, it shouldn't happen, but you can't help it because we drink poison in the world. We breathe it. As she grows up, there is, oh... No, no, careful. <laughs> and well, life is, there is that aspect of life. But as a child, oneness. Children will play with snakes. I will tell you, they just don't feel the repulsion or the fear. There is a spontaneous oneness and there is a spontaneous bliss in everything. They just can't discover happiness for nothing, sweet nothing. And then as they grow up, even from the beginning, the file of life, no, you must get that, no, must you, you must do this, no, unless you achieve this, you can't be happy. How can you be happy? No? Growing up, we heard this phrase, I used to be very fond of playing all the time, and sometimes I, ghas chilna hai kya? Now I could say, what's wrong in ghas chilna? I could be happy, ghas chilna. Matri mandir mein people are doing ghas chilna, and they are so happy. <laughs> so you don't need to do something, achieve something to be happy, that's your minimum, take home. And that is the beauty of the law of karma. It's instantaneous. Do something which is selfish, which is narrow and constricting. See what happens to this delight. You suffer the most. You think you have done something very smart, but inside there is that constriction, that suffering. Do something which is unselfish, which is white. And you see, you feel happy. It doesn't matter. This, is, by the way, is one of the things taught in Buddhism. That 
and you know if you are watching a movie and there is somebody sitting behind and uh, let's say or needs a seat and you are sitting and you give the seat not just about good manners there is a joy in that it is a recognition it's done as a good manner now it's um, there is a difference between uh, imitating something and doing it from the heart when you do it with this idea that it's okay i mean this the divine in another form perfectly fine there is a joy which comes because it widens us and you rush and take that one seat which somebody else was going and say ha ah, i have outsmarted yeah you have outsmarted but you have also put a bar the prison has become stronger so this is the whole journey is from delight taking us towards delight and should be full of delight which we have lost because we have created these prisons the mind rather not we but the mind has created these frames and prisons and we have to learn how to come out the mind doesn't have the key the mind may be able to tell us that yes these are prisons but it doesn't have the key knowing that yes these are desires they don't go just because we know it even when we have discerned and understood we need the key to come out of this state the first thing necessary is freedom from this ignorance to discover who i am really is my identity just my name and surname my avidya wala card or my identity something much deeper why should i limit myself to being only this or that why should i not have the greatest identity possible and that greatest identity is that deep inside me and my creator are one one of the greatest formulas ever uttered is sohamasmi still heard about it isn't it from the upanishad sohamasmi that i am how liberating this is and how empowering this is it is empowering i don't blame and complain my issues on somebody else that's so easy i am the creator of my own fate i have to discover that part within me which is the creator of course in my present state i can't be the creator i am like a king who is in prison so even in prison you may say that you know the famous story of narayan murthy and how he changed his line of thought heard about it that he was in poland or some place and he had a very strong socialist leanings <laughs> till he was put in a prison and <laughs> then he kept saying i am so and so and you know i am uh, nothing doing you are in a prison you may be a big man but we don't care you may have this thought finally okay you are an indian so 48 hours he was carried in a prison and finally released quietly go away don't enter again that's when he changed his thought so in a prison you keep saying i am a king it doesn't work you have to realize that kingship many stories we see again in both eastern and western scriptures where there is a prince who is uh, not recognized as a prince who comes back fights a battle and then he reclaims the kingdom that's why in indian thought we have swarat and samrat swarat is who claims his kingdom and what is the kingdom first kingdom which we have to claim this nature so all spiritual paths when it is said creating the kingdom of heaven kingdom of heaven has to be created first within me so how do i create it 
by first harmonizing my nature by making it beautiful by filling it with the breath of the infinite that's why all these practices of uh, unselfishness and compassion all the qualities that we know of it just to conquer my own nature as long as i am angry i am full of greed lust and fear then i am a slave it's not never good to be a slave a king is a slave is a slave <laughs> he will feel even worse i am a king don't you know he'll say you may be a king but you are a slave of anger and fear so the first one of the things which is important is to become self master what is known as swarat and then the second is samrat a typical example of samrat is buddha you know the story of buddha when he is some you know going on the road and a king passes by and says get out of my way he says but who are you i am the king buddha says i am also a king so now king is meeting king <laughs> so then what kingdom do you own so buddha said what kingdom do you own he says i have this dominion that dominion and what kingdom do you own so buddha says i am a master of myself i am a king and it's a transforming moment in the life of the great king that somebody he had never thought that this is the first kingdom i need to conquer this is the kingdom given to me bhumi that's what the word bhumi literally means and if i can conquer it i'll reclaim that lost sense of bliss that oneness this is the start of the journey and it starts with a seeking it starts with quest so spiritual life begins with aspiration it doesn't end with aspiration it begins with aspiration it begins with a self effort towards self mastery it begins with a ascension of life beyond the human frame and the human formula towards something which exceeds the human formula by its nature spiritual life exceeds the human formula religion religious life moral life ethical life are still within the human formula spiritual life is a life of freedom but not licentiousness that's the strange paradox well, we think freedom is licentiousness why it is freedom because i am no more a slave of my own nature therefore i am free so that's the freedom towards which the spiritual man goes and that's delightful there is no more suffering no when we are angry when we are afraid who suffers most when we are jealous when we are ambitious who suffers most we suffer most that's why snake is such a pitiable creature he may bite somebody and kill but he is carrying the poison all the time inside so to be free of this poison is such a delight and well this is an interesting journey let's stop with this aspiration with which spiritual life begins we'll take this journey further as we go down the road or up the road <laughs> <laughs> but maybe we can pause for a um, i think people may want to just uh, loosen up a little bit and we can start after 5 minutes is that okay yeah so we can have question answers and a more interactive session this is just to make a background